pray. Father, we are, we are here to worship. We're here to celebrate. We're here to remember that day of infamy that has become Good Friday. It's become the day that would change all of human history. We're here to celebrate and remember. Jesus, we exalt you the Lord, the Christ, the very Son of the living God. He who died and is alive again. I'm asking you in the next 20, 25 minutes here that as we continue to worship by looking into your word, as we continue to worship by listening to what you said on the cross. I pray that you would speak to us. I'm asking that you'd speak to me and through me and that you would, as you are so able to do, that you would personally apply your truth right to the hearts of each one in here just as you know it needs to be applied I know that you can do that and that you will and I thank you for it in your name Jesus I pray and God's people said amen you may be seated welcome to Good Friday service 2012, it is a day of infamy that be, has become what we call Good Friday. Here's what I want to do tonight. I want to ask a question and answer it from Scripture. Here's the question. How did Jesus live while he was dying? How did Jesus Christ live while he was dying? The very first Good Friday was certainly a bad day for Jesus. The Roman machine of torture called crucifixion was the worst, really the apex of human history in man's diabolical plans and abilities to produce instruments of torture. Nothing worse than crucifixion. Jesus walked through that and in doing so, he gave us an example of how we should live through a bad day. Now, fair question to ask. Is it appropriate to take the story of the crucifixion and use it as a lesson to teach us 
how we should live through our bad days. I don't only think it's appropriate, I think it's directly commanded in Scripture that we do so. Let me give you a verse from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Jesus Christ is to be our example in the midst of our suffering and our struggles. We are to look to Him. We are to look to His example in how He endured the cross of suffering. So I believe we're doing exactly what God would have us to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus our attention in to the last six hours before Jesus died. Six hours that he hung on the cross from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. And in those six hours, he taught us seven lessons about how we can live through our bad days. Those seven lessons come from his lips directly. Jesus, while he was on the cross, made seven statements. And each one of those statements is a lesson for us. Lesson on how we can live through our bad days. The very first words that fall from the lips of Jesus while he was on the cross really send a shock wave of penetrating grace through us. And here they are. We're going to throw these on the screen. Statement number one. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 24. Here's the first great lesson on how you and I can live through a bad day. It's this. Those who are trying to ruin your life, forgive them. Those who are trying to ruin your life, forgive them. It is truly amazing the statement that he makes here, dripping with blood-red grace. I want you to look at it closely and quantify the kind of forgiveness here that Jesus is referring to. First of all, it was a forgiveness that did not retaliate. Jesus did not rise up against their treatment of him. He did not lash out or fight back. He simply remained silent and absorbed what they gave him. That in itself, if you remember who he was, that in itself is an incredible act. This is the one who set the sun in place on the fourth day of creation. Same one. This is the one who every evening after that called out the stars one by one by name. 
the one whose arms had omnipotent power, he, instead of raising them to stop the onslaught, he left them spread and pinned to the cross. So, just the very fact that the God of all power did not retaliate is truly amazing, but it did not stop there. Look closely at the statement. What is he doing here? The accuser is becoming the intercessor. The accuser is becoming the intercessor. And for whom is he praying? He is praying for those that are short of breath, having just swung the mallet and lifted the cross upon which he was hung. Father, forgive them. So his forgiveness was one of non-retaliation and his forgiveness was one of intercession, but that's still not all. His forgiveness was also one of genuine concern. You see, he looked down from the cross and he looked right into their hate and he saw through their hate down to the fact that really they were helpless and deceived. He saw, in fact, that they were really the ones that were the victims and not him. And so he poured out passionate plea to his father for the ones who had victimized him and prayed, Father, really they're the victims. They're deceived. What an incredible lesson from that statement. Those who are trying to ruin your life, forgive them. Here's a second statement. Luke 23, 43. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said this to the man who was hanging on a cross similar to his, to his right. But unlike Jesus, this man deserved to be there. This man had basically paved his own way to his cross through a life of crime, and he was getting the just desserts for his sin. Jesus was without sin. But what happened there is that Jesus, in the midst of his pain, connected to a man who was going through the same pain. Well, not exactly like Jesus, but certainly a man that was going through some similar sufferings. Here's a lesson. How to live through a bad day from the life of Jesus. Those who are facing similar pain, help them. Those who are facing similar pain, help them. Look closely again at what Jesus said. 
He encouraged the fellow sufferer with the truth of God's promises. He encouraged this man that was enduring suffering beside him by giving him the truth of God's promises. You see, this man, by his own testimony, had already professed faith in Christ. He already claimed his innocence, and he put his faith in his divinity. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so Jesus Christ met this man right at his point of need, and he poured the truth of God's promises into him. He didn't worry about his own suffering. He was there to meet the sufferings of someone else. And then Jesus exceeded the man's request. The man asked to be remembered, and Jesus said, I'm taking you with me. I'm taking you with me. How are we to live through a bad day? We are to come alongside of those who are suffering as well. And we are to meet them at their point of need, pouring the truth of God's promises into them. And where they can't get to where they need to go, we are to get involved and help them get there. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus said we're to carry a cross if we're going to be his followers. Here's a third statement. Jesus looked down at his mother, agonizing over the suffering of her son, and beside her stood the disciple that was closest to him. And here is what he said, woman, behold your son. And to John he said, behold your mother. Again, such an other-centered, selfless life. Jesus, knowing that when he was gone, the welfare of his mother would be in question, and so he takes the final few hours of his life to make sure that he is providing for the needs of his mother. Her financial needs, her relational needs, and ultimately, doing so for the rest of her life. Here's a lesson. How to live through a bad day. Those who are closest to you, provide for them. Those who are closest to you, provide for them. Look carefully. Remember carefully of how Jesus provided I don't just mean provide for their physical needs. You see, at some point in our lives, one fashion or another, everyone in this room has someone that they are to come alongside and provide care and support to. 
I want to just speak to you fathers, parents for a minute, and specifically to fathers, but to parents. And I'm a husband, so I want to speak to you wives for a minute. I'm a husband, so I want to speak to you husbands for a minute about your wives. Are you preparing for, providing for your wife, husbands? I don't mean just physically, but are you providing for her emotional and her relational and her spiritual needs? Are you providing the model of Ephesians 5? Here it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Washing her with water through the word so that he could present her as a holy, spotless bride. Husbands, your responsibility that God has given to you. You see, that's what Jesus is doing here. He is fulfilling the responsibility that he has to his mother in the midst of his pain. The responsibility, husbands, regardless of what you're going through in life, is that you are to provide for your wives. And what you're to provide more than food on the table and a shelter over their heads is that you are to provide a sacrificial love that models Christ. You are to provide spiritual leadership in the home that takes her to the Word and helps sanctify her in the Word so that you can present her to the Father holy. Fathers, what about the provision for your children? You see, you have a responsibility to provide for those that God has given to you. Yes, physically, but those children, they need something much more. Just rhetorical question. What are you really concerned about providing for your children? What are you longing to see in their life? Are you longing to see a good job? Diligent work ethic, important things, a good spouse, good education. What about the preeminent thing? Here's what the Apostle John wrote. I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. Dads, you can't help your kids walk in the truth unless you do at least three things. First of all, you've got to walk in it yourself. They're going to hear what you say, but they're going to do what you do. Yeah. 
Secondly, you have to be intentional about teaching them the truth, not just assuming they'll catch it hanging around the church once in a while. Intentionality and purpose in providing for this deepest need. One of the things that I'm really excited about, if you're not a regular attender here, you're not involved, men, with our men's ministry here, right now we have 45 men that are working on developing 15 mentoring areas for the children so that those can be packaged and handed off to dads who can then take that and train up their children in the way they should go. So you got to first live it, then you got to intentionally teach it, and then thirdly, then you got to hit your knees and pray for God to do what you can't do. Here's the fourth statement, and here is where the statement seems to change. Jesus cries out, first of all, from nine to noon, three hours on the cross, and then at noon over the land comes a foreboding blackness that sweeps the land. And then three hours of darkness, and then At 3 p.m., out of the darkness comes the cry of Christ from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the lesson on how to survive your bad days in your darkest hours when you can't find God. Cry out to him anyway. Cry out to him anyway. See, these words of Jesus initially shock us with their blatant transparency, but that's what makes them so precious. Because what we see here is that Jesus was a real man. And he walked through real problems and faced a moment beyond his understanding right here. We have a Savior that knows what it means not to understand. And yet even though he didn't understand, he cried out to his Father anyway. So Jesus taught us here to be blatantly honest with God. You know, the greatest worshiper of the Old Testament, David, King David, wrote most of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart. You know what David did throughout the Psalms when he was up against it and he was having a bad day? He just told God exactly what he thought. He laid all the hard questions at God's feet and did so vehemently and passionately. And you know what? This statement right here, that Jesus made is a quote from Psalms 22 that David wrote in the midst of a hard time. Here's the point. 
Jesus' life was so full of the word of God that in his darkest hour, what was flowing out of him was God's word. Oh, I wish you could get that locked down into your life. The time to prepare for the storm is when the sun is shining and the waves are still. Because the hard days are coming. And what you need more than anything in the moment of the storm, in that deepest, darkest moment, is you need to have the Word of God as an anchor in your life. This reminds me of another statement that Jesus made. This statement is at the end of his ministry. He made another statement at the beginning of his ministry. In the desert, 40 days fasting, being tempted by the enemy, and the devil came to him and tempted him, and Jesus gave this response. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. see, Jesus saturated his life with the truth of God's word. And when he was put under pressure, what came out was the truth of God's word that gave him the anchor. The next statement, the fifth statement, seems a little strange to have a lesson in it. But Jesus said, I thirst. John 19, 28. I thirst. What lesson is here for us about living through the bad days? Here it is. When you're in serious need, humbly admit it. Humbly admit it. You know, I think that maybe the message for some of you here tonight on this Good Friday is that you need to come to the place of personal humility where you become transparent before God and say, you know, I've tried to run my life and I've tried to figure it out and it has not went like I want it to go. And I'm to the place of brokenness now where I know I need some help. And so I'm going to humble myself and admit that my life is messed up and I have no hope and what I desperately need is a Savior. You see, and I (laughs) will be my tendency in my flesh. There are many who particularly guys who have this assessment that Christianity is for the weak. There's two fallacies to that. I mean, there's a lot, but I'm going to just show you two fallacies to that. Here's the first fallacy. The first fallacy is you're tough enough to make it on your own. Here's the truth. That was a, a deception. Here's the truth. Some find out early that they can't make it on their own, and some find out late, but they all find out. 
they all find out. I've been with them in their final moments, they all find out. Here's the second fallacy in that idea. Christianity is simply for the weak. Folks, if you just take an honest look, do you know who the greatest heroes of history, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them have been? It has been men and women who would not back down from their convictions to the point of horrific death by the thousands and thousands, and it's still happening today in other parts of the world. Just look to the leader of Christianity himself, Jesus Christ. Was there ever such a man? How's this for tough? How's this for tough? Planning your own sacrifice and planning it to be the worst sacrifice of the history of humanity. How's that for tough? Did you know that? Did you know that he planned his own death and specifically what death it would be? How's this for tough? Personally accepting the direct responsibility for every sin for the human race. How's this for tough? Exposing yourself to the full wrath of the holy, righteous, omnipotent Father to receive from Him every last drop of the punishment for sin. How's that for tough? How's this for tough? Having the power to destroy the world and command the hosts of heaven and yet standing silent at your trial, silent at your beating, and silent at your crucifixion. How's that for tough? Leads us to the next statement. Jesus said, it is finished. Here's the lesson in the 11th hour, trust God. In the 11th hour, trust God. The word here in the Greek is tetelestai. It means two things. It means it is finished and paid in full. It is finished. What is finished? The mission that he came to accomplish, specifically the death that he came to die, the death that he planned before he created the universe. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, and when the full punishment for sin had been made, Jesus said to tell us die. It is finished. And that leads to the second meaning of the word, paid in full. What was paid in full? Your sin. Your sin. My sin. You see, what he did is he came to the end of his life and he had done everything 
that he could do. And then he said, it's done. And he entrusted himself to his God. That leads us to the last statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Here's the lesson. When you come to the end of your bad day, surrender it back to God. Here's what that means. When the day is done, having lived through the day, don't live through it all night long. Don't replay the day that you have lived through throughout the night. Bring it to God. Surrender it to Him and say, I'm giving it to you. I've done what I know to do. I'm giving it to you. You see, the example of Jesus shows us how we can live through a bad day as a follower of Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ, that day of infamy is a good day for you because on that day Jesus Christ took your sin and he paid its penalty. And now all he asks you to do is put your faith in him. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans also says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Scripture says that anyone who comes to Jesus, he will never cast out. He wants that Black Friday to become Good Friday for you. And that happens when you accept him as your Savior. I'm going to just say a a prayer in closing. Worship team is going to come and sing a song as we come toward the end of the service. I'm just going to say a prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity just quietly in your heart if you want to make a decision today to accept Christ as your Savior. If like the thief on the cross, you believe in who He is and what He did for you. It can make all the difference for your eternity. Let's pray. Father, just ask that you just take these few thoughts here, words of Jesus Christ as he hung in agony and let them penetrate our hearts and help us to see in that greatest demonstration of love the plan for our salvation and the pattern for how we are to live our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
the way we're going to end this is we've got some tables over on each side of the platform here that have the elements of communion on them. If you're not familiar with what that means, there are pieces of bread and juice there representing the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that we're here to remember. And to all those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, Jesus says, come and take and eat and remember me. Remember my sacrifice. So we do this in remembrance of him. So we've got several songs here. You can do this at your own leisure uh, as you're just remembering and thanking Christ for what he's done. You can go and take some elements. You could kneel up here at the stage. You can go back to your seat, however you want to do that, kneel at the altars. If you just want to take some time and visit with some people, I'm going to ask you to go out into the foyer to do that so that those who are in here can take some time to remember the sacrifice that Christ paid. So you come as we sing.